everybody welcome back to the financial freedom show my name is rob berger in this video we're going to sort of explore the idea of should we make changes to our investment portfolios right now uh, and i'm recording this at the beginning of august 2021 uh, in preparation for what we expect to be at some point uh, a pretty rough market uh, the question has come in from a lot of you via email and comments to other videos and just to kind of put it in context we all know right now that assets are expensive, whether you're talking about stocks, whether you want to look at their price to earnings ratio, their price to book, their, effectively their, their, how much you're paying for the net worth of the company in each share, price to sales, no matter how you want to sort of value stocks, they're expensive right now. And bonds are expensive too, which is just another way of saying the yields are really, really low. Uh, real estate, uh, to my surprise, you know, people still have all kinds of money to buy homes, apparently. Real estate has gone up. Frankly, I think crypto has been a, a beneficiary of the current environment. Uh, it's certainly not immune to the effects of interest rates. Interest rates are very, very low. When that happens, asset values tend to go up. And that includes crypto, I think. And we kind of all assume at some point interest rates are going to reverse course and go up. We might not know when, but at some point that's going to happen and asset values will likely come down and maybe very sharply. So should we prepare right now for that eventual outcome? That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, I'm going to first talk about why I think it's very difficult to do this. Then we're going to talk about actual ways you might think about doing it if you want to. And then I'm going to kind of give you my own uh, views on all of this. So that's what we're going to do. Now, um, it's important that as an initial matter, you have an investment plan. If you're considering making changes to your investment portfolio, I'm assuming you've got an initial plan in place already. Doesn't have to be fancy. In fact, I'll show you a couple quick ways to do it. Uh, on, on the screen is a free Google spreadsheet. I've done a video on this in the past. And if you just Google, uh, investment tracking spreadsheet. Make this a little bigger so you can maybe see it. There you go. Uh, I think my site is like the third entry. Here it is. You'll get a link to the spreadsheet. Here's the spreadsheet. And you can see I've got a target allocation. This is not actually my current, my, my own target allocation, although it's kind of close, but I'm at 7030 uh, at the moment. Uh, but you know, you can put in your allocation and you can, of course, change the categories. You may have commodities, gold, you may have small cap value instead of small cap or whatever. But the point is, this is a very easy way to document your investment plan. And I think that's really, really important. It's important for rebalancing. You've got, you've got to know your, what you want to aim for, you know, before you actually fire, so to speak. So you need, you need to understand what your current allocation is. If you've never given, any, given it any thought, now's the time to do it. I mean, you can, you can go in by hand and look at all of your investments, look them up in Morningstar, uh, see how much you have in stocks, how much you have in bonds, and so on. You can use a free tool like Personal Capital, connect all your accounts, it'll do it for you. But the concept behind a plan is very easy. Uh, you know, and, and, and the most important decision would be uh, stocks on the one hand versus bonds or other fixed income. Those are the, that's the single most important part of any investment plan. How much is going to go in stocks? How much in bonds? If you're a long-term investor, some folks have 100% in stocks. They don't have anything in bonds. 
Uh, maybe that's on the extreme side. There are plenty of people with many, many years before retirement. They might be 90-10 or 80-20 or maybe 70-30 for long-term investors with decades to go before retirement. I think that's probably the floor for most folks uh, in their, say, 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, maybe even 50s. When you are when you get into uh, your 50s and older like I am, I think you start to see a lot more 60-40, maybe 50-50. I personally, for me, would never go below 50 in, in stocks. But um, the point is you need a plan. And of course, you can break this out with the stock por uh, portion. You can have international versus, versus U.S., small cap, and so on. Uh, so there are different ways you can sort of slice and dice the portfolio. But this right here is the most important asset allocation decision by far that you'll ever, it's far more important than whether you, you have just U.S. stocks or U.S. and international. It's far more important than whether or not you choose to have small cap stocks, uh, small company stocks, whether you, you want to have some amount in REITs. This is the big, big decision. But the key is you need a plan. So I'm assuming you have a plan or, you know, stop the video, figure out at least your current asset allocation. And, and then come back because that's we need that before you know we can even begin to think about what if anything we might do to our portfolio uh, to prepare for a coming a coming crash. Now, uh, having said all of that, let's get to why I think it's very difficult to do. And the first one is timing. While we might all agree that at some point the market's going to get ugly, I guess it does from time to time, but particularly given our current. Uh, economic challenges, uh, it's very difficult to know when. And that's really, really important. I, I love when you hear on the news and they say, so-and-so predicted the housing crash in 2008. And I go back and I look at it and I said, they sure did. They predicted it for four years and eventually it happened. Well, you know, that kind of prediction doesn't do us any good. I, I, you need to predict what and when, not just what. We can all predict that the market's going to crash. Of course it is. We just don't know when. And that's a difficult thing when it comes to making significant changes to your portfolio, you can make those changes today and the market might not, you know, go into a tailspin for who knows when, a year, two years, three years. Um, that's the point. It's very difficult uh, to move a portfolio into a defensive strategy because of, of timing. And let me underscore that with the following uh, chart. And it's in an it's in a study that I will link to below this video for Morningstar. You may have seen charts similar to this. Uh, but all these different colored boxes represent the different asset classes you see along uh, the right. Blues are basically U.S. stocks, uh, small cap REITs, and then the total market. The red, uh, shades of red are international stocks. Shades of orange are bonds, and, and shades of, I guess, yellow or gold are commodities. And you can see that um, they're all over the place. I remember this top bar here, 05. I think it actually began in 03, maybe. But... Emerging markets were crushing it. Look at this. They were up 35%, 36, 40, three years in a row. And then what happens? You got to go 2008. We got to go all the way down here. They lost, they lost 53% in one year. And then look at 09. They're back up to 83. And then they're all over the place. They're down here. Then they're the bottom. Then they're the top. And if you follow pretty much any color on this chart, you're going to see that they, they just go all over the place. Uh, and it makes it very, very difficult, I think impossible, to truly predict the market. You're going to find 
on, on in the media, you're going to find in, on YouTube, all kinds of content where people think with this chart or this technical analysis or this economic indicator, uh, they can predict uh, what's going to happen next. I don't believe anyone can. I've certainly never seen anyone that can consistently predict what or when. Uh, excuse me, what and when. We can all predict what. You can't predict the when. That's the problem. And this, I think, really underscores just how volatile any given asset class is. And it doesn't matter what it is. You, you pick something like bonds. Ten-year treasuries, this dark orange. But you can see it's all over the place, too. Here in, in 06, it was towards the bottom. Then it's in the middle in 07. Then it's at the top of 08. And then in 09, it's at the very bottom. Aren't bonds supposed to be, you know, not very volatile? They're, why are they jumping around? It's because it's what they do. Uh, the market, well, it fluctuates. And that's true of any asset class. So timing is really, really difficult. That's the first problem. The second problem is, even if we knew, let's just imagine that we knew the, a bear market was coming uh, at the end of the year. December 1, markets are going to crash and bear market's going to hit us, you know, for however long. Uh, even if we knew that, it can still be difficult to position our portfolio. And I'm going to uh, show you why. It's actually the same study I'm going to pull up here, but a different graph. Here it is right here. Let me show you. See if I can make it a little bigger, maybe. So what Morningstar did here was they looked at uh, bear markets or crashes. We've got uh, the first part is March 2000, October 02. That's the, um, the tech bubble when it burst, and I, I guess 9-11 as well. Here we have the financial crisis, 2008. Here we have the end of 18, not nearly as, as, as notable, but still a notable, a, a downturn to be sure. And then we have the COVID uh, last year, the COVID uh, downturn. And you can see that there's basically none of these are identical. You know, if we go back to the tech bubble, green is REITs. They really added a nice diversifier. You know, you went into to REITs before that downturn, and it, it really helped, uh, you know, bolster your portfolio in the midst of obviously a pretty significant uh, downturn in, in U.S. U.S. stock market. Uh, but look at 08. I mean, it didn't diversify anything. It, it went down just as much or a little more. Uh, than stock market. Here uh, in 2018, it helped a little bit, but it was still down, but obviously not as much as the U.S. Uh, stock market. And then, of course, for COVID, it went down more than, than stocks did. So that's really the point. Even if we know there's a bear market, we don't know which asset classes exactly are going to help us. Do we go into REITs? Do we go into commodities? Uh, they vary depending on the crash. If we look at gold, long-only commodities, they were very helpful in the tech bubble. But boy, the last three crashes, not really helpful at all. So that's the second sort of problem is even if we know a bear market is coming and we know when, exactly how to position the, port the portfolio is still a big guess. Now, we can look at history and make some educated guesses, and we'll look at that in just a minute. But it's still, a, it's still a guess, right? So no bear market is identical. And, so, and because of that, what may have worked in the past might not work again, right? We looked at the example of REITs or commodities. Sometimes they help, sometimes they don't. But think about treasuries as well. Uh, certainly they're safe in the sense that, uh, you know, we're pretty as confident as we can be the government's going to, you know, 
pay the debt when it's due, let's hope. <laughs> uh, but many think that their diversifying effects could be minimized now because yields are so low. Uh, I guess time will tell. But the point is we can't just assume that because something worked in the past, it will work again. The fourth and final uh, point that I wanna make about why a defensive portfolio is so difficult is even if you get the timing right on the front end, and I know folks that did, in fact, with COVID, I had people tell me, hey, I sold out just a week before the market crashed. Okay, great, good for you. When do you get back in? That's, that to me is as hard a question as the timing in the first place. And I have a good friend who in 08 said, I'm done, Rob, I'm out of stocks. Uh, and I said, okay, when are you getting back in? He goes, I'm never getting back in. And I don't think he has. Now, he's a very wealthy person, so I'm not losing any sleep over his finances, but he's basically got just raw land that just sits there and does nothing. And so he never got back in. I'm going to guess most of you are probably not going to take a similar route. And in fact, even though he's perfectly fine financially, he's a lot less well off because he made that decision. When do you get back in? When do you unwind the decisions you make to go into a defensive portfolio? That is a really, really difficult question to answer. And ultimately, I think the timing issue is what's going to keep most people from benefiting from a defensive portfolio. Now, having said all of that, I promised you I would give you at least some strategies to think about. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. So a couple of them. The first is you could move into more treasuries, all right? And the question there is, do you take your existing bond portion of your portfolio, whatever that is, if you've got some high yield, emerging market debt and other things, do you move that into treasuries? Or do you actually change your asset, your, your, your stock to bond allocation as part of this? That's a tricky question. As a general rule, I am not going to change my stock to bond allocation to prepare for some perceived coming calamity in, in the market. Again, for me, it goes to the question of timing. I'm not good at timing when to, when to get out of stocks and when to get in. Frankly, I don't think anyone is. So I'm not going to change the, the, the stock to bond allocation, but within the bond portion of the portfolio, I might make changes, and I have. Now, in my case, I haven't gone into more treasuries, and I'll explain that in just a minute. However, some argue that that's a pretty good thing to do. And in fact, the Morningstar study that I just showed you, again, link below this video, has said that, um, yeah, treasuries over time have actually been a reasonably good diversifier. And in fact, if we go back to this chart we looked at a minute ago, in this chart, the treasuries are their five to 10 year maturities. You see the, the gold here. In each of these downturns, they provided pretty good shock absorber, right? They were up all four times, some in some cases more than others, but these really did help soften the blow. So that's good. And so treasuries, I think, are a reasonable option. Uh, just keep in mind, though, uh, and in fact, this report makes the same point, because yields are so low right now, the ability of treasuries to act as sort of a shock absorber going forward is it may be muted. They may not uh, provide the same level of diversity as they have in the past, but I still certainly think it's a, a reasonable choice. Personally, I would, I would definitely prefer treasuries over high-yield bonds or emerging market debt 
for the most part. Um, but again, just because they've helped in the past doesn't necessarily mean they'll help in, uh, in the future. So that's the, the first approach. Uh, a second sort of defensive strategy is similar to it, but is rather than going into more treasuries, go into more cash. And by cash, in my mind, I mean, obviously, savings accounts could be a money market fund. I might technically even put short-term treasuries in sort of the cash uh, uh, bucket. And that's actually what I've done with a lot of our bond portfolio. I've moved out of intermediate-term treasuries and into cash, it's not a market timing issue. It's not a, I'm doing this because I think the market's gonna do X, Y, and Z in three and a half months. It's simply because the yields on intermediate term treasuries and intermediate term bonds generally are just horrific, which is another way of saying the bonds are very, very, very expensive. And so for me, it's just made more sense. So this is I, 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 at least one approach I've taken, I've moved more to the, the shorter end of the yield curve is what they, what they would say, um, and, and gone to put a lot of my bond portfolio into short-term treasuries and, and money market uh, funds. As changes to a portfolio go, it's, it's probably not that significant. I haven't changed the stock bond allocation, but I have moved more to cash and um, it has shown to have nice diversifying effects in down markets. So that's a, a possible defensive strategy. All right, a third option, uh, particularly relevant today, is to move to value stocks. So remember, growth stocks are stocks that tend to be expensive, but but tend to grow their revenue and and, and cash flow at a, at a high rate. Think Amazon or Tesla or Google, that sort of thing. Value stocks are the more sort of uh, older companies, sort of stodgy, boring companies. You know, Coca-Cola, banks. I guess uh, Johnson and Johnson. You know these these companies have been around forever. They pay a dividend, and um, their price to earnings are much lower than compared to say a Tesla. Well, I think every company's price to earnings is probably low compared to Tesla. But you, you get the idea. Well, growth stocks have clobbered value stocks over the last number of years, in part because of low interest rates. So the theory is, you know, maybe the the run of growth stocks is sort of coming to an end. And uh, if interest rates start to go up, it would favor value stocks. I generally think that's probably true. Again, timing is the tricky thing. And at least according to the Morningstar uh, study, they question just how much of a diversifying effect value stocks can have. For example, they really did well during the tech bubble crash in uh, 2000, 2002. They didn't do so well last year. Uh, during the COVID-19 crash, they actually didn't didn't give you the diversifying effect that you might hope. Growth stocks actually did better. So that's just the kind of thing to keep in mind. Value stocks, certainly an approach, you can move some of your, say, large cap or small cap into large cap and small cap value funds. So it's, it's an approach, but it's certainly not guaranteed to give you a, a, a better result. All right. Fourth defensive strategy would be to move more into commodities. Uh, the theory is, is that commodities can be a good hedge against inflation. The idea being as prices go up, uh, the value of commodities uh, go up. And if you're invested in commodities, that's a good place to be when the prices are going up uh, for what you own, right? However, what, again, the Morningstar Report says is, look, a lot of the commodities today are highly correlated with the U.S. stock market, particularly as more and more investors see commodities as sort of financial assets, so while commodities generally have been viewed as a hedge against inflation, they can often 
uh, move in much more correlated ways with stocks. And in fact, we can go back to this chart. We can see uh, uh, commodities is the orange. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes they help to go back to the tech bubble, uh, but sometimes they didn't. Now, having said that, we can look specifically at gold. Gold has actually been a pretty good diversifying asset. And you can see it, at least in the last four crashes reflected here, uh, it was down a little bit in the tech bubble. It's the, it's the red bar, but obviously not like uh, US stocks. Here it moved in the opposite direction, was up. It was up here as well, 2018. And even in 2020, yeah, it was down a little bit, but it would have certainly softened the, the fall from both from US stocks, from other commodities, that's the orange bar, and from US REITs. And if we look at gold over the long term, um, and what I did here is I created three portfolios in Portfolio Visualizer. One is just US large cap stocks, so S&P 500. And then one, I allocated 10% of that to gold and the other 20%. And this goes back to 1972. And when you run the numbers, you could see Actually, the portfolio with 20% gold, it's this one right here, actually did the best. Not only was its compound annual growth rate higher, but look at the difference in standard deviation, 12.8% compared to over 15% for an S&P 500 only uh, type of uh, portfolio. That's a huge difference. And you actually see the difference here. The worst year is 28% versus 37 for the S&P. Uh, the max drawdown, we'll call it 40% versus what, 50, 51%. So um, a, a huge sort of diversifying benefit for gold. Now, I am personally not a, a fan of gold, generally because uh, I'm not a fan of investing in things that just sit there like a lump. Um, that's why I'm not a Bitcoin in investor. It just doesn't do anything. You own it, it sits there, and, and you hope someone buys it for more you know, down the road. And if you guys want to say, well, Rob, haven't you just described a, a, a stock that doesn't pay a dividend? No, but that's for another video. So having said all of that, I want to show you uh, what I do instead. And uh, we'll take, since this was the best uh, portfolio, 80-20, 20% uh, in gold, we're going to compare that to 90% and 80% for U.S. stocks. But the, the other is going to go, instead of gold, it's going to go into small cap, in this case, small cap value. All right, how do those compare? Well, if we analyze this portfolio, it's the same time period. And remember, our gold portfolio is portfolio number three, this one down here, and it performed the worst, right? The best portfolio was the one with 20% small cap value, highest compound annual growth rate. The second best was... Uh, the one with 10% U.S. small cap value. However, you do have, it's a, it's a, it's a bumpier ride, right? The, the standard deviations here are in the 15s. Again, the portfolio with gold is 12.8. And so gold does uh, soften the, the volatility of a portfolio. And I know that can be particularly important for those of you in or near retirement. You just have to recognize that you're paying for that smoother ride. And in this case, using these numbers, again, this is a long time period, um, and so the time period will matter, uh, but you're paying a lot. <laughs> and so you just have to bear that in mind. You're paying a lot for the smoother ride. So where does that leave us? Yes, gold can be a good way to sort of create a defensive portfolio. 
I personally believe though, over the long term, it's going to cost you as compared to other ways to diversify your portfolio. I just gave you one small cap value. Uh, there, are, there are certainly uh, plenty of others, but I know a lot of you are gold fans and I wanted to show you that data. And the Morningstar report finds that gold is a good diversifying asset. So I, you know, that's the data they've found. I've showed it to you in Portfolio Visualizer, and there it is. Uh, again, I think it can hurt your returns long-term, primarily because at the end of the day, gold goes up by the rate of inflation. It can fluctuate wildly, but if you look at long periods of time, that's basically what it does. Uh, that may be better than cash, but fortunately, cash is not our only alternative to gold. So there you go on gold. Now, I kind of want to wrap this up looking at uh, four asset classes together. International stocks, REITs, small cap, which we've talked a little bit about, and high yield bonds. Here's the long and short of all of those asset classes. And the Morningstar report kind of bears this out, is that they don't give you the diversifying effects that many people think or uh, that you that you were hoping for in a downturn. It doesn't mean you shouldn't own them. I own REITs, I own small cap stocks. You just have to recognize that when the market drops, they very likely could drop too. And again, uh, we see that as an example with REITs is a great example. I mean, they've, you know, they gave you diversifying effects at the tech uh, bubble burst, but pretty much maybe a little bit in 2018, not at all in 2008. Uh, or, or 2020, and we see a lot of correlation recently uh, between U.S. stocks and international stocks as well. Again, that doesn't mean you shouldn't own them. I own international stocks. And I think long-term, international stocks might actually be a pretty good uh, diversifying asset, but in a bear market, they, they may not give you a whole lot of protection in the short term. So you, at this point, you're saying, well, Rob, you're basically telling me I don't have many choices. Well, you don't have a lot of great choices. Uh, according to the Morningstar report and what we looked at, gold is an option, although you've got to ask how much of your portfolio do you really want to put in gold? Cash, maybe treasuries. Yeah, those can diversify, but if you're changing your overall stock to bond allocation, then I wouldn't do that. I might move uh, intermediate term bonds to some cash or short term bonds. I might be comfortable doing that. I'm not comfortable making big changes to my overall asset allocation, stocks versus bonds. But gold, cash, treasuries are some ways to perhaps soften the blow, maybe. Again, keeping in mind that just because they worked in the past doesn't mean they're going to work in the future. And at this point, you're, you're probably thinking, Rob, appreciate all your work here. But basically, you're, if, if I'm hearing you right, you're telling me you really don't know. Right, exactly. I don't know, and neither does anyone else. That's the key. And that brings me to what I think is, uh, I hope, a big takeaway for this video, and it's the following. The best way to position a portfolio for the coming bear market, in my opinion, is to do things that have absolutely nothing to do with your portfolio. When people talk about preparing for the next recession or a downturn or high inflation, they immediately go to their portfolio. Should I add gold, commodities? What should my stock bond allocation be? These are certainly important questions, but they're important questions at any time. To me, the way I think about surviving a 50% you know, bear market, let's say, or, or even worse perhaps, is one, how much debt do I have? If I don't have much debt, I can survive a really ugly market far better than a neighbor who's got 
you know, three mortgages and car loans for every car they own and a loan for the boat, you know, credit card debt, I'm going to be in a much, much better position. I don't care what their stock bond allocation is, or for that matter, what mine is. I'll be able to survive just about anything if I have virtually little debt. Now, of course, if you have debt, getting out of it isn't going to happen overnight, but it should be a plan of yours. I think getting your debt under control is one of the single best things you can do to survive bad markets. And that's particularly true uh, if you're in or near retirement. So that's the first thing. you got to deal with your debt. Uh, it may not be a sexy answer. Maybe you want to go to a YouTube channel that will show you some fancy charts and predict when the next market crash is coming. I think that's probably a waste of time. Second thing is, really do think about multiple streams of income. It's not something I've talked a lot about in past videos, but it's something I'm very focused on. This YouTube channel is a stream of income. No, I'm not the next YouTube star. I get it. And no, I'm not making millions of dollars on YouTube, but I'm making some money on YouTube. It's a stream of income that could help us if need be. I own some websites. That's another stream of income. I published a book. Are any of these things, again, making me wealthy? No, no. Uh, but, but over time, they help and they help a lot. And if you think about um, retirement, let's imagine you want, I'll just make a nice round number, $10,000 a month in income. That's what, $120,000 a year. So that's certainly above average. Well, if you've got a couple of streams of income that generate two or three thousand, and then you just have to pull the rest from your nest egg, that's going to have a significant impact on the longevity of your portfolio. Now, your multiple streams of income could be real estate that you own, you know, real estate rentals. Um, there could be a lot of different ways to generate uh, multiple streams of income. But I think it's a really important strategy, and it's helped us out tremendously. And that kind of gets me to the third thing, and that is just skills. Even in retirement, I'm always thinking about how could I make money if I needed to? So I end up doing a lot of things to stay sharp. Now, I was a lawyer, you know, seems like in another lifetime. I can't ever imagine going back to practicing law, but I maintain my, my, mem my bar membership. I could go back and become a lawyer if I, if I wanted to or if I had to. And so I keep that because you never know. It costs me some money each year, but it's, I think, money... Uh, uh, well spent. I, you know, I've, I've built an online uh, a business or a media company. I sold most of it, but I keep my skills in that area sharp. I still have a lot of friends in the business. I'm, I belong to mastermind groups. I go to conferences each year. Uh, in fact, going to one uh, in a month in Austin, Texas. And uh, so I do these things, uh, to one, because I just enjoy it, but also I think it's important to keep your, your income producing skills sharp, even if you're not using them right now or not using them uh, extensively, because you just never know what, what's gonna happen and how, what's, what life is gonna throw at you. And these things have nothing to do with your stock bond allocation or how much to allocate to gold or should you go from intermediate term treasuries to short term treasuries, all really you know, important questions, at least to a point. But I think the best way uh, to prepare for, you know, the next bear market has nothing to do with your asset allocation. It has to do with your life skills and your debt and your overall finances. So it may not be the answer everyone wants to hear, but I think it's important to look at it, uh, to look at your finances from a holistic perspective, not just zeroing in on how much uh, of an allocation to have uh, to a gold ETF.
for example. So there's my take on it. Uh, I hope it's helpful. Uh, would love to hear your comments or questions. Just leave them below the video and I'll respond and happy to help you out any way I can. Until next time, remember, the best thing money can buy is financial freedom.